Okay, those are the main things. But let's turn to God in prayer, shall we? Father, we want to thank you we can meet together like this. Lord, when we're here, it's good to be together. But Lord, even more, it's wonderful to know that, that you are with us. That you, you meet here because you care about us. You want to uh, reveal more of yourself to us. You want to guide us and encourage us and, and teach us. And, and Lord, we we uh, we want to uh, commit ourselves to you this morning as well. And we ask that as we go through this service, it, it won't just be going through the motions of some religious observance. But Lord, as we we sing these these songs of worship and prayer and praise, Lord, we'll really mean what we sing. We'll sing them as unto you. Uh, as we turn to the Bible, Lord, we believe that the Bible, written and inspired uh, so long ago, uh, is still the means that you use today to speak to us. So this morning, Lord, please help us to listen and to pick up whatever it is that you want to say to each of us as we look at your word uh, today. We thank you, Lord, for the happiness of celebrating birthdays. We, we pray, we do pray for, for Annabelle, for Christine, for Ray especially. We thank you for each one of them, Lord. We thank you, Lord, you've been with them, with them along the way, bringing them to this point in their lives. And we pray, Lord, that this week will be a, a happy time for each of them. And Lord, you'll be with them to guide them and to bless them uh, in, in the year ahead. We do pray for Roz and her family at this time, with, the, uh, with her daughter-in-law being so poorly. And we just pray, Lord, for your presence and your peace. And you will help Roz and help her to be a shining light for you in the contact that she has with other members uh, of the family. Lord, we pray for one another. Uh, sometimes nobody knows what we're struggling with, only you. But Lord, you know those who at the moment are, are, are depressed, whatever reason. Those who are lonely, those who are anxious, those who are afraid, those who are uh, seriously unwell. Lord, we just ask that we will just turn to you in our need. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who cares, a God who comforts, a God who brings healing. And we just commit uh, each member of this church to you, whatever burdens we bear at the moment, that, Lord, we will find in you uh, all that we need. We pray for other churches in this town. We pray for this town of Horwich, Lord. And we pray that you'll revive your work here in Horwich, that... Um, uh, the, the thousands of people who know nothing about you at the moment will come to hear the good news of Jesus and, and believe that it's true and that many will turn to you. We pray for our nation where we seem to have wandered off in, in sort of completely wrong direction with little regard, if, if any, for your word. Lord, please bring us back. As a nation, please bring us to our senses where again we pay attention to the word of God and put our trust in you. Please raise up godly leaders Please grant that our government will have wisdom as they, as they address uh, what seem to be almost the uh, insurmountable problems, and so many of them, that, Lord, that they will recognize their own inability to, to sort anything out without you, and they will cry out to you for help. Now, Lord, we just offer this service to you, we offer ourselves to you, and ask that you'll be pleased with our worship, with our attendance to your word. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing our first hymn, uh, Ourselves. We're going to be thinking about three questions which will be spread throughout the service. This is going to make it re a really interesting challenge for those who are recording this for, for putting on the internet. But uh, there'll be three separate bits. So if I speak for a few minutes and, and, then, and then stop, that isn't the end of me. I'll be back with part two and part three. 
but first of all, we're going to read some well-known verses from uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, page 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. May the Lord bless his word to us this morning. Um, one thing I should have added at the beginning, when I was saying what an eventful week this is, with all the things restarting and the birthdays, also, uh, Bill and Anne, I believe, have, have a, a very significant wedding anniversary around about now. So we, we wish you a happy anniversary, Bill. Um, we've just been reading about how Isaiah has this wonderful vision of God. In all his holiness, high and lifted up. And the angelic creatures uh, around the throne crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. There's a lot we could say about this passage, but for our purposes this morning, we're just going to focus on one thing. The way that Isaiah reacts to this vision that, that he has. When he sees his vision, what does he say? In verse 5, we see it, he says, Woe to me, I am ruined. Woe to me, I am ruined. Now, we don't often say, now, we don't often say, uh, woe to me nowadays. Uh, when we have any freshmen after, if someone knocks over a cup, not like they might say all kinds of things, not like to say, woe to me. But, but it, it means basically that there's no hope for me. Uh, I, I'm ruined. I, I'm, I'm doomed, to use the words of, of, of Private Fraser. But why is Isaiah so distraught? Because he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You might think, isn't Isaiah being a bit hard on himself? Isn't that bad, is he? After all, God's called to be a prophet, so he must be okay, mustn't he? Why is it that he's so distressed when he sees this vision? This illustration I can think of, and this, this may reveal our ages to some extent. I won't ask you for a show of hands, but can any, I wonder whether you can remember some soap powder commercials many, many years ago about Brand X. <laughs> Christine remembers, right. Um, the basic idea was this. That here's little Eric. Little Eric's mum washes his shirts in a soap powder that they call Brand X. And she thinks it's fine. His shirts look, look, look white to her. 
And actually, most of Little Eric's friends, their mums also used Brand X. So they, they all look fine. But there's another boy, a bigger boy, called Bob. <laughs> and Bob's mum doesn't use Brand X, she uses Daz. <laughs> and one day, little Eric is standing next to Bob, and Eric's mum has a shock, because compared with, with Bob's glowing white shirt, Eric's shirt looks grey. It was okay while he was only comparing himself to, to other children who were who in the same situation using brand X. But now she sees what real whiteness is like. And the, and the situation that Isaiah is in, and if we're honest, that we're all in, is we just look around, we compare ourselves with other people and think, well, I'm not that bad. There's some people who are uh, as nice as me or even a little bit nicer, some who are a bit worse, <coughs> and we think we're okay. But then, when we compare ourselves with God, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, we, we, we see that compared with him, with his perfect purity and holiness, we're unclean. And Isaiah recognises that compared with God, who he's just seen in this amazing vision, he's unclean, and the people around him are unclean as well. And that's why, suddenly, He's humbled. He's right to be humbled, because actually, after that vision he's seen, he's just stating the obvious. Now that he's seen what God is like, and how unclean he is compared with God. And actually, we're all in the same position. Uh, the great preacher Spurgeon once said, Humility is simply to make a right <laughs> estimate of oneself. We look at God. Look at ourselves. Are we unclean? And we're sinners? Now, logically, we can accept that, but in practice, we aren't always as humble as we should be. Except there was one man who was perfectly humble. We're going to think about him in a minute, and if you can't imagine who that man might be, the next song will give you a big clue. We sang it very recently, but it just fits in so well. I've chosen it again today. We're going to sing The Servant King. Uh, accompanied by Jay. Thank well with our theme this morning. Philippians 2 from verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> we think it's more about humility. We like people to think that we're humble. In fact, we can be quite proud of our humility. But there was just one man who ever lived who really was totally humble. The question for this second section is, is anyone really humble? <laughs> this man who was totally humble, you might think that of all people, he didn't need to be humble at all because he was perfect. He was God. And yet he was the most humble man who ever walked this earth. He was God, and yet what did he do? This passage tells us he made himself nothing. How inclined are we to make ourselves nothing? So, so we're a nobody. Nobody notices us. We, we, we don't stand up for any rights. Nothing. He made himself a servant. A servant to the point where, in one practical example, uh, when his disciples had come back from walking a long way, and they all could do with their feet washing, but who was going to humble themselves to wash the people's feet? Only Jesus. He knelt at their feet. He washed their feet. Interesting enough, he doesn't actually say that anybody washed his feet. He took the place of a servant. And the whole thing is just a downward progression. He didn't cling on to be God. He came into this world. He took the position of a servant. He hobbled himself, as it were, going down and down, even to the point of death, even the most agonizing, shameful death on a cross. Why did he do it? Well, in his own ministry, as Mark records it, Jesus uh, summed up the purpose of him coming like this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When he died on that cross, Jesus, Jesus died on that cross because he was willing to humble himself that much, to be humiliated that much. As he hung at the cross and they jeered at him and said, if, if you're the son of God, save yourself. And he could have done, but no, he was here to serve us. As he gave his life as a ransom for many. As he, in all his humiliation, he gave his life as a ransom for us. Because that's the only way that our sin could be paid for, that our guilt could be taken away. That's the only way that, that centuries earlier, Isaiah, in the, our first reading, could have had his guilt taken away. Because the day would come when Jesus, the one perfect servant, would pay the price for Isaiah's sin, and for my sin, and for your sin. You know, when I think about this, I find it really hard to get my head around this. When I try to imagine what it was like for Jesus, God, to become a helpless baby, totally dependent on his parents for food, for his toilet needs even, to be cleaned up by somebody else, and this is God, but unable to speak. This is God. This is the Word. Just so completely humiliated. The lowest place. Completely helpless. God made himself completely helpless to save us. And at the end, he hung on that cross completely helpless to save us. 
what it was like for him to grow up as the only one who was totally innocent. Yet he was ill-treated, misjudged, criticised, mocked, jeered at, scourged, nailed to a cross by the very people he was dying to save. Yet he did it. He went through it. He went through with it. He bore it all to serve us. When I think about this, and I don't don't think about it as often as I should, I'm amazed, I'm humbled by his example of humble service, even serving undeserving people like me by dying for my sins. And you know, when you look at a passage like Isaiah 6 and see God in all his greatness, all his glory, that's described so clearly, it's hard for us to grasp, this is another thing that's hard to get your head around, Help us to grasp that this great God is also truly humble. That he has a servant heart. And yet he is. The best guess I can make is that the reason he's such a humble servant is because of his deep love for us. After all, if you think about your nearest and dearest, you'd do anything for them, wouldn't you? Any need they have, whatever it cost you, how much time it took, you'd do it because you care for them so much. And it's hard to, for us to grasp, isn't it, that God cares about us that much. That he's willing to be our servant, not just to wash our feet, but to die for our sin on a, on a cross. God has that humble nature of serving us because he loves us so much. In a moment we're going to share communion <clears throat> and to remember what Jesus did for us and to thank him for it. As we share, we share communion together. But first we're going to sing again a well-known hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. But uh, it's, it's always good to sing this hymn, but it's so relevant here because he says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. So let's stand and sing When I Survey. <coughs> Part three. We first of all ask ourselves, why be humble? We saw the effect on Isaiah when he had that vision of what God is really like, and he saw God's holiness and his sinfulness. The second part was, is anyone really humble? The answer is yes, just one man, Jesus. He was perfectly humble, and yet he was God. And the final question, what about us? We looked at that passage in, in Philippians and it contains a very uh, very striking statement when uh, Paul is describing the attitude of Jesus. He says in Philippians 2 verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Paul says we should have the same humble attitude as Jesus. But in real church life, that isn't always easy. Humility doesn't come naturally. Um, verse 3 talks about the things that come naturally uh, selfish ambition, which is wanting our own way. 
vain conceit, which is thinking that we know best. I just wondered, I've been wondering the last few days, what would our church look like if we really served one another humbly, like Jesus? I know we're already uh, a very friendly, welcoming church, but is there more? And I thought to myself, suppose that I went away for a year. While I was away, somebody preached on this sort of theme, and we really embraced the example of Jesus and the serious challenge for us to be like him in humble service. When I came back after my year away, would I notice any difference? And I thought, well, maybe I'd notice two things that had changed. One was a humble attitude. Not thinking, I noticed that people were no longer thinking about, sorry, I noticed that people would no longer think that they knew better than other people. Not thinking that we know better than other people. Not thinking that we're always right. Rather, the opposite of that, being willing to listen to one another, to understand our different views and feelings. You want to serve somebody, one of the most wonderful ways, and yet the most neglected ways of serving them, is simply to listen to them. To see what they think, why they do what they do, why they make the choices they do. To listen. And then it might change our perception about whether we really do know what's best. Not thinking that we know better. Not thinking we're always right. Be being willing to listen to other people. Not just pursuing our own interests. Not always wanting our own way. Being too busy to help other people. Rather remembering how Jesus, in his busy life, always seemed to make time for people. We'd have that humble attitude towards one another. And the other thing is we'd have more and more a servant heart. We're told in the first verse of this chapter to be tender and compassionate because we share the same spirit. Tender and compassionate, not just to people that we actually feel quite tender and compassionate to anyway, but being tender and compassionate to everybody, even that person you find it very hard to be at all compassionate to. That would show in that when we come to church, we're looking for what we can give more than what we can get. So, for example, in a few minutes we'll go out there and have a cup of tea. And I'm always thinking more about what, what I can get. I hope somebody says an encouraging word to me. I hope somebody even speaks to me, whatever it might be. Rather, think about what we can give. Lord, as I go out there in a few minutes, lead me to somebody, and we'll mill around and chat, lead me to somebody that I can be a blessing to this morning. And that would be our bigger concern, to be a blessing to other people and to serve them. I'm willing to serve one another in practical ways. Looking out for those who are struggling, lonely, depressed, maybe the elderly, maybe families with children, a church where people are eager to give and willing to receive, because that's the important part of it, isn't it? Eager to give and willing to receive practical help. And this can't just be a Sunday thing. 
because we only see each other for a couple of hours on a Sunday. But a church like the one I'm describing, after we've thought about this and taken it to heart, will be a church where we're praying, Lord, show me who I can help, who I can serve in the church. Not so much saying, Lord, please send, I, I could do with somebody to help me, but who, I, who can I help? And, and actively seeking that. And to go on living like that, even if we feel that nobody notices, everyone takes us for granted. And after all we do, we're misjudged or unfairly criticised. Jesus knows a bit about that, because Isaiah tells us that Jesus, when he was oppressed and afflicted, he didn't open his mouth. When he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. But even if we embrace all that, we really want to serve humbly like that, we find that we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. Uh, Paul says here, doesn't he, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Uh, um, not, not just uh, having his mind, but more important, his attitude of being a servant. And we need to receive him, because he's the only one with the right attitude, to invite him to come into our lives by his Holy Spirit, to live in us, so we have his attitude. I'm just going to end before we sing our final hymn, with a short prayer. I'll pray it in the first person, I, me, but I hope we'll all want to make it our prayer. We consider the teaching of these passages. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, please help me. I'm naturally proud being humble doesn't come easily. I can't live this kind of life without your help. First, Lord Jesus, I ask that you will forgive me for my pride, for often forgetting that I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness, for being reluctant to serve other people as you did. Lord, I ask you to come and live in me, to be my Lord, to do things your way, to serve humbly like you. Please make me willing to even serve difficult people, ungrateful people, and to go on serving in your strength even when no one appreciates it and even when I get hurt. For your name's sake. Amen. We're going to end our service by singing the song that you heard just before the service began, The Goodness of God. Uh, we, we haven't got uh, uh, Debbie to accompany Jay, but we have got the massed choir of Holy Evangelical Church, so I'm sure that, that Jay